All right, so if you'll take your Bible and turn over with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and we're going to read verse 1 all the way down to verse number 7. And then I'll give you my text verse is uh, verse number 7. We're going to kind of dissect that verse this, this morning and maybe the latter part of that again this evening. Uh, but let's begin in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Would you care to stand with me one last time as we read the scriptures and uh, then I'll have a word of prayer and give you the message. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, the Bible says in verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Just a little side note. God has not sentenced us to Christianity. Right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more I don't, I don't know about you, but I enjoy Thanksgiving because of the abundance of food. It puts a smile on my face. Amen. Uh, Golden Corral is one of my favorite restaurants. Can I get an amen on that? Now, my wife doesn't necessarily like it because she's seen a little 12-year-old boy go up one time and just do this and then start filling his plate. But hey, I can eat it all, right? But it puts a smile on my face and we're supposed to, as Christians, be filled with joy. Right. Read on the rest of verse. Uh, let's look at verse number five. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, right, or the genuine faith that is in thee, which dwelt first at thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So Paul's telling the younger preacher, Timothy, that he trained, right? He called him his son in the faith. Wasn't his physical son, but his spiritual son. He says, look, don't forget what you've learned, right? Stir it up. Remember what I've taught you. But then he says this, and this is what I want us to focus on this morning just for about 25 minutes. Look at verse number 7. He says, for God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear. Fear but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I want to preach on the thought of what God did not give us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might bless the morning message. And Lord, thank you for all that's been done, the the choir, the singing, the congregational, the fellowship, the special music, the piano playing, the song leading, all of this, the offering. And Lord, we know that we live in a time right now A lot of people are asking questions. A lot of Christians are asking questions. And there's a little bit of, I wonder how this is going to play out. We know what the Bible says. We know the the last book of the Bible, Revelation and Daniel, but we still don't necessarily know how everything kind of connects in every area. And there might be a little bit of a fear. God, I pray that today we would say, you know, you gave me not the spirit of fear. And Lord, may we look to you. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know yet, Lord, may they fear you and decide to trust you as Savior. 
Lord, bless today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So a little bit of background. Context is everything when you read your Bible. I mentioned in Sunday school that I can prove to you from your King James Bible that God doesn't exist. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, and I believe it's chapter 11. I could be wrong on that, where it says uh, there is no God. But the whole verse says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So context is everything, right? you got to read the verses before and the verses after to understand. Understand what's going on. What is the book of 2 Timothy all about? It is a preacher, Paul, who's writing a letter to his, uh, his young preacher that he trained in the ministry, Timothy. And this is the last of Paul's letters, right? From what we know, not according to the Bible itself, but from history records that Paul was executed. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But according to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy, this is basically his last will and testament. Uh, have you ever been to the hospital or maybe the bedroom of a loved one who is on the verge of expiring and passing on into eternity? And they say, I want to get my family here. And what do they do? They tell you their last words. They're saying, I want to let you know. I want to, I want to tell you I love you. Or maybe in some cases they might even say, listen, I'm sorry, I apologize, or whatever. It's his opportunity, it's Paul's opportunity to set the record straight. And so here we know that he knows his life is almost over. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and notice what he says in verse 6. Paul says this, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure or my death is at hand. He says, I'm about ready to leave this world. He goes on and here's what he says. He says, I've got no regrets. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. In other words, Paul says, zero regrets. If this morning we left Clark Memorial Hospital or Clark Regional Hospital and the doctor had just told you, you have to get your house in order. You've got just a few weeks to live. Would we look at that and then say, man, I got regrets? Would we look at that and say, you know, I need to change some things in the next six weeks and I need to make sure I start doing things that I've never done or I should be doing? How would we respond? Well, Paul says, look, I know my life's over. And he says, I've got no regrets. regrets. I have ended my life well. Now, remember, he didn't start well. Am I correct on that? He was Saul of Tarsus killing Christians, and then he becomes a Christian, and then he begins to preach to the kings, he preaches to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and then he gives his life in just a little bit. We'll, we'll look at how he ended up dying. Now notice with me in verse number 14 of 2 Timothy. Now, while you're turning to verse 14, I want you to know this. It was Paul that ends up in prison, under how, actually under house arrest, in the spring of about A.D. 63 in Rome. He was then, uh, he was rather he was released from house arrest at that time and for five years he traveled to Macedonia, Philippi and other places. He was rearrested. Okay, now he's put in prison back in Rome at around A.D. 68. It is said that Paul was in what's called the Mamertine prison, meaning it was a dungeon that had an 18-inch hole from the ceiling, and that's how they lowered the prisoners down. Now, that Mamertine prison was not a place that you go for 30 years of your life. They just held you there temporarily until you were executed. Now, it is also said not only was Paul at the Mamertine prison, but 
the Apostle Peter was as well. Some information says that in that, that Mamertine prison dungeon, it was a damp place. Now, there's two different things I've read. One says there, there could have been a spring, as in water, that was in there. And another one says there could have been a latrine. Imagine being in a latrine. Imagine being in a dungeon and all you get is 18 inches of, of some type of light. And that's how Paul ends his life. And he's there and some suggest that how he got there is because of a guy named Alexander. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 14 says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me much, what's the next word? Evil. And then he goes on to say, the Lord reward him according to his works. Now the Bible doesn't say that Alexander made the accusation against Paul, but some other writings suggest that maybe he was the one. And that's why Paul made this statement at the end. He says, he caused me a lot of problems, and maybe that's the reason why I'm down here. Here's, here's the whole point to this, right? Paul knows he's in chains. If you look at other verses in Timothy, he's in chains. He says he's a prisoner. He's in this uh, Mamertine prison awaiting execution. He's a Roman citizen. He's a Jew. He's now born again Christian. He's a preacher, but he's still a Roman citizen. Because he's a Roman citizen, he's not to be crucified. So as a result, they say that he had his head chopped off, but he still was killed by the emperor Nero. So that's where Paul is located. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at what he says to Timothy in verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. What's the next word, church? In 2023, now I didn't grow up in church, but I got saved at 12, got backslidden at 17, got right with the Lord, started to serve God and trained for the ministry. But... In my lifetime, I'm 45, in my lifetime, America has been the biggest and best superpower. Would you agree with me on that? Prior, you know, you had the Cold War, you had Russia, the USSR, then you had the fall of of USSR, and now we're the lone superpower. And in my lifetime, I'm seeing this. Y'all with me? And there ain't nothing I can do about it. And not only am I seeing this, it ain't the enemy coming from outside. I mean, yeah, they're flying balloons over and we're sending million-dollar missiles to shoot down balloons. That's how stupid we are in this country. Are y'all with me? We're playing with balloons and China's playing different games. And so here we are in this country and I'm seeing this happening and what I'm seeing is my country is imploding from the inside out. And it's almost like, it's, it's like the rock coming down or the big boulder coming down and I can't stop it. But here we see Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I read my Bible erroneously through an American perspective. I can't read the Bible that way. Because the Bible was not written in English. Y'all with me? The Bible was not written in America. It was written in the Middle East, in Israel, and that whole region in Europe and Asia... And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. Now, I still believe that I have God's perfect, preserved, inspired Word of God in the English language of the King James Bible, but that's not the point of what I'm trying to make. It was written at a different time, at a different era, in a different language. Now, watch me. I'm an American. I'm in 2023. I live in a country where we're free and we're wealthy. The early church was running for their lives. Are you with me? It makes it different than when you, and I'm not saying this in a negative sense. When we go to church, it's like the next conversation is where do we go for lunch? 
the early disciples, when they had church, they're saying, okay, where do we have church next week? Because we can't meet in the same place. Who's going to go see Peter in prison? Who's going to go see Paul in prison? Who's go- it's a different day and age. And by the way, as a Christian, it's not unique to the first century of the church. It still goes on right now in other countries. You all have missionaries. I read, I think you've got a missionary in your bulletin that's a missionary in Taiwan. And he talks about the ministry there. Taiwan is about ready to lose their freedom. And China's just going to take it. And I know of missionaries' personal friends that I have supported when we were in Elizabethtown as a pastor and then Rochester. They're missionaries in China. And they, they talk about how the, every time a police officer comes, they immediately are on edge because they know if they are found out, they're going to get deported and their church members could lose everything. And they've got to do this in secret. Folks, we've got it really good in the United States of America right now. But he says... All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and notice again where he says in verse number 7, and that's the context of Paul writing his last letter. He says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. If you were to watch Fox News, you know they have breaking news every 30 seconds. (laughs) You know there's always something big that happens. And it's a great marketing strategy. You keep coming back. And there is always something going on. But I'll be honest with you. If I consume nothing but Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, I'm going to be depressed. By the way, I need to consume more of the Word of God than I do the news of the world. I don't mean don't pay attention to the news. But as we look at what's taking place in society and see what's going on, It would be easy as an individual to live in fear. In the last couple weeks, I've had people mention, they they, they talk about, preacher, what's going on in Ukraine? What's going on now in Israel? Within the last two weeks, Israel. Um, What's going to happen with our American government? You understand that in 2024, we're going to elect a president, and it looks like, now things could change, it looks like we're going to have to choose between President A, who's been impeached twice, and he is under indictment in four or five different cases. And then we're going to have to choose between candidate B, who has an impeachment inquiry going on right now and may very well get impeached this next year for his connections to China and Ukraine. And he don't even know if he's coming or going. Right? That's our candidates. Now, I'll just preface this to say this. I'm glad for four years we had a president that stood for pro-life, the Second Amendment, religious freedom, the family, and the nation of Israel and said, we're going to do what no other president has done and move the embassy and recognize Jerusalem as the capital and move from Tel Aviv to Israel in 2018, 70 years after the founding of the, of the, uh, uh, the nation of Israel. I'm glad we had a president stand up, but just recently he started turning his guns on Israel. Can I tell you this? When we turn against God's chosen people, that's not good. So here we got Timothy says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And people are afraid. But he says, look, don't have this spirit of fear. You got these wars going on. You got this presidential election coming up. And who are you going to choose? And there's different things taking place. And then you've got the House speakership. They don't even have a speaker now. And then on top of that, we're afraid about the economy. We don't even have enough ammo and bullets. And we're telling the world that we don't have enough ammo and bullets. And Russia and China sitting back laughing at America. And then we look at all this and we think artificial intelligence is coming out and all of this is a race to get killer robots and we're sitting back thinking what in the world is happening to my nation 
And then young people say this. Oh, I, I know I'm saved, but I don't know if I want the rapture to happen right now. You know why? Because when I was young, I did the same thing. I wanted to get my license. Can I get an amen? Freedom. I wanted to graduate. Wanted to get married and start life. And they got their whole life in front of them. So they think, yes, I look forward to the rapture, but I don't know if I want it to happen right now. And those are legitimate thoughts and fears. But Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, he's riding from prison. 18 inches is all the sunlight he gets. If it's water from a spring or if it's a latrine, he's riding at the end of his life and he says, no regrets. And Timothy, don't you have a spirit of fear? So how do I respond in that environment. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 14. I want you to see what Jesus did with his own disciples when they encountered a moment in their life and ministry that literally put fear in their hearts. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter 14, and you'll recognize the story of Jesus walking on the water. Look at with me at what he says in verse number 22. Matthew 14. Straightway or immediately... Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He just fed the 5,000, all right? So go on in verse number 23. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, the Jewish timetable did not begin at midnight. It always started at sunset. So we would say, give or take 6 p.m., okay? So let's just estimate it's 6 p.m. The Bible says the evening has come. Jesus is on the mountain praying. He sent his disciples to get into a boat and go out into the Sea of Galilee. That's the context. Read with me in verse number 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, you get out in the midst of the ocean. In 2011, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and visit and just fell in love with the country. Helped me understand the Bible more than I ever had in my life. It filled in all the gaps for me. So I'm there. I'm looking at the Sea of Galilee. and It's not a big sea. Matter of fact, it's more like a lake. But we call it a sea. And they're out there rowing. The wind is boisterous. The waves are heavy. And now all of a sudden, these guys, rightfully so, are nervous. Matter of fact, these are professional fishermen. They don't get scared very often. They spent their whole life on this sea. They spent their whole life on this lake. And so here they are. They've got a problem. They're getting a little bit nervous. And then things really ramp up. Look at what he says in verse number 25. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now let me stop. It started at 6 p.m. or the evening or sunset. Now it's the fourth watch. The fourth watch is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., all right? So if it was 6 p.m. when they started, and Jesus is walking to them, let's just say 6 a.m., or a little bit before sunrise, they've spent about 12 hours in the middle of an ocean, or rather a sea, and they're, and they're struggling with the waves, and all of this is taking place, and now Jesus is walking to them. And now these men have a, a sight that they've never seen before. Look at what he says here in verse number 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were, what's the next word, church? Trouble. Saying, it is, a spirit, it is a spirit, or in other words, a ghost. And they cried out for, what's the next word? No, wait a minute. They're seeing Jesus but they don't recognize Jesus. 
And as a result of not recognizing Jesus, they are afraid. Can I say this as, as kind as I can? If you don't see it through the lens of God, you will be afraid. And you may even be looking at God. But here, they couldn't even recognize Jesus. He's walking to them. He, they see a ghost. Read on in verse number 26. When the disciples see him walking on the sea, they, they were troubled, saying it's a spirit. They cried out for fear. Verse 27. Straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So Jesus tries to calm their fears. And the Word of God, the living Word of God, speaks the spoken Word of God and says, relax. Can I remind you and I, it is God's Word that will help you get rid of the fear and give you the peace in the midst of chaos. In the midst of a world that looks like it's ready to burst out into World War III, in a world that looks like, man, we don't know what's going to come or what's going to happen next tomorrow. And even if, maybe it's not the world, but maybe it's my health, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's my job, maybe it's my family. You say, preacher, I don't even know how to face tomorrow. I'm worried. I don't have the answers to the problems that I'm facing. Can I tell you, it's God's word that will give you calm in the midst of a storm. And then he goes a little bit further and he says this, verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee unto the water. And he said, come. The, the, the first thing I want us to, to think of is this. Fear paralyzes. It's called fight or flight syndrome. But fear paralyzes. If you've ever been in the hospital room where the doctor just told you or a loved one, you have cancer, there's nothing we can do, that's fear. If you've ever known someone who just had their boss come in and say, listen, I'm so sorry, the company's downsizing, we got to let you go. And you got a mortgage, you got a vehicle payment, you got tuition or you got this or that, how are you going to pay the bills? That's fear. All of that is legitimate. And here you've got Peter that sees Jesus and says, Lord, if that's you, can I come to you? And he says, come on, Peter. And to Peter's credit, everybody criticizes Peter, but he still holds the record for walking the furthest distance on water other than Jesus Christ. Am I right on that? Why don't we criticize? Where's the, rev the rest of the 11 guys? Still in the boat, paralyzed by fear. So Peter gets out. He walks. You know what happens. He looks at the wind. He starts to uh, fall again. He, he then cr cries out to Jesus, Lord, helps him. And then they get back into the boat. And look at what the Bible says here in verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 32. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Can I tell you? Fear will paralyze. And those 11 men stayed in the boat. How many of y'all like snakes? How many of y'all like dead snakes? Last week, I was at work coming home. And as soon as I get home, I see my whole family on the front porch. Y'all can figure out where this story's going. I get out of my vehicle, and rightfully so, there's a lot of excitement. And, I, and they come up to me and they say, hey, 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 we had a snake in our house. 
and uh, we, we have a basement, a walkout basement, and so we have a ranch house, and so it, it, it was in our house, but it somehow got onto the first floor, the main floor, and we, don't, we can't figure out how it got into the house. Uh, you know, we usually keep the doors closed, and, and we're just trying to figure this out. It was in the living room. It was on the, uh, right there by the couch and everything, on the living room, on the floor, and they showed me the picture. They showed me the video, and I look, and I, my oldest daughter that's, that's still with us, I, my oldest daughter is, is married and lives in North Carolina, but Cindy that's with us, she showed me the video. She had caught the snake and picked it up. Now, it was a baby snake, oh, about, maybe about this big. <laughs> it was a, a snake, and she said it was a rattlesnake. It was about yay big, and she had caught it. I see her holding it. And then uh, there's the video of how she caught it, you know, and, and, and so I'm looking at that, and, and that was 10 minutes before I got home. And so I, 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 we're trying to figure out, is that a rattlesnake? Is it not? We did a little bit of research, and, and then uh, we find out, no, it might be a rat snake, not a rattlesnake. But because I like stories, we tell everybody it's a viper. It was a spitting cobra. Actually, it was the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden. That's the one that she killed, all right? So, uh, so that's how the story morphs. And the truth of the matter is, Cindy is the daughter of a preacher that believes in snake handling. Can I, can I get an amen on that? It is easy to get afraid and paralyzed. But you and I both know that if you live in fear, you miss out. You ever been on the side of the, the pool and everybody's swimming and you don't know how to swim? You're missing out. You got to overcome that fear. Yeah, if you've ever been in an environment, you know, when I played football as a little kid, first time I ever played football, I was afraid to get hit. And then when you break through the fear, you love to hit. You had to break through the fear. And so here, you've got Jesus telling his disciples, relax, guys, don't be afraid, be of good cheer, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, can I come, come to you? Come on, Peter. And the 11 guys are paralyzed by fear, but everybody criticized Peter. We should be criticizing the 11 guys that are f- paralyzed. But Peter experiences the hand of God that day. And let me give you the last thought on this. Take your Bible and turn over with me to Matthew chapter number 1. So while fear may paralyze you, your faith will propel you to serve the Lord. In Matthew chapter number 1, we have the story that we're all familiar with. It is Joseph that finds out his wife Mary is pregnant. Now, there's basic biology. And right now, our country can't even figure out basic biology. We can't even figure out which, which restroom to use these day and age. And by the way, I'll say this. It is child abuse of what they're doing right now to kids under the age 18. It is child abuse, and the doctors ought to go to jail, and so should the parents. Amen. It is a shame that we will let a 10-year-old kid, a 12-year-old kid, a 13-year-old kid, the New York State Department of Education, when I pastored in Rochester, New York, for about 9 to 10 years, last summer I saw in the USA Today newspaper, now listen to this, the New York State Department of Education responsible for all schools, including private schools and home schools. They sent out a letter to all their schools that said this, if you have a kid that wants to transition, if you have a kid that wants to change their, their, their pronoun, any of that kind of stuff, you are prohibited from telling mom and dad. Listen, we used to tell our kids, if a stranger tells you, don't tell your parents. Are y'all with me? Now we have the education specialists telling our kids and our families out there, 
you don't belong to your mom and dad, you belong to us. And by the way, that's exactly what's happening all over this country. It'll happen in Kentucky if, if, if people don't continue to fight. But we are now experiencing a lack of common sense. And by the way, a lack of bi- Bible knowledge and biology because the only way to reproduce is a male and female. Y'all with me on that? It doesn't matter what happens. That's what the Bible says and that's what biology shows. But here you've got Joseph that finds out his wife is pregnant, but you all know the story. He doesn't know how. Are you, I don't want to go any deeper because of children, right? He's ready to get rid of his wife because he believes she's cheated. Can you imagine that? He's broken. He's hurt, but he loves her. He loves her so much. The Bible says he wanted to put her away privily or in secret. He didn't want any, he didn't want anything to happen to her because according to the Old Testament Mosaic law, she would be guilty of a capital crime and therefore, and the person she would have been with, she would have had to be stoned to death. But he doesn't want that to happen because he loves Mary. And so he says, I'm going to just put her away privately. But notice what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter number one. And he says in, let's see, verse number 20. But while he thought on these things, boy, I sure wish I would think more first and act second. Y'all with me? You ever heard the old phrase, haste makes waste? Here he thinks about it before he does something, before he gets rid of his wife, before he divorces her, before he puts her away. He says, let me think about this for a second. And when he's thinking, when he's thinking, the Spirit of God speaks to him. And God says, hey, Joseph, I know this doesn't make any sense to you. I know you can't figure this out, but this is of God she has, the, she has the Son of God in her womb. She's been faithful. You just trust me on this. I know it goes against logic. And I know you just can't comprehend it. But God's in this. So what does Joseph do? Look with me in Matthew chapter number 1. The Bible says in verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, And took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. The eleven guys are in the boat, paralyzed by fear. Joseph wakes up from his sleep and decides by faith, I'm going to propel forward, and I'm going to protect my wife, protect my son. And I don't understand this, but there's something special happening in my family. Can I tell you? God said... Through Paul to Timothy. Timothy, the Lord didn't give you a spirit of fear. Now watch. All 11 apostles died as a martyr. Only one didn't. John, he would have. But they put him on an island. He gets the book of Revelation. He survives. But he experienced persecution as well. All of this put together and you say, Preacher, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does except God. Preacher, I I got this disease. I got this family problem. I don't know how to solve it. I don't think anybody knows the answers, but God does. What does the Bible say? His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And then you say, oh, but preacher, I'm not afraid of nothing. Really? Really? Turn over to Psalms chapter 56 and I'm done. Psalms chapter number 56. And notice what a guy that no man in this room could hold a candle to. Notice a guy that the Bible says he Saul slew his thousands and David his tens of thousands. 
the very guy that killed the giant Goliath, who killed a lion and a bear with his own hands, this mighty warrior, David, King David, makes the statement in Psalms 56 in verse number 3. He says, what time I am... What's the next word, church? Wait a minute. If David can have times in his life where there's fear, where he's afraid, he says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Paul signs that last letter to Timothy. Seals it up. Says, send it on to Timothy. And then he says to the Roman guards, I'm ready. I don't know what we face tomorrow, but I can tell you this. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, whatever is on the hearts and minds of your people, whatever struggles that they may have, whatever questions that they've got, if there's worry, if there's fear, if there's doubt, I pray that today they would say, you know what? I want to get back to the Word of God. I want to get back to my prayer closet because I know that God can give me clarity. God can give me peace and comfort. And then, Lord, certainly if there's anybody that doesn't know you, may they put their trust in you today. May you bless in this invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we'm going to turn it over to your preacher.